Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 51. and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. Here with me again is Sandy McKay. How are you doing today, Rob? Good, Sandy. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm fa- fabulous. fabulous. Long time no see, but we're going to get together this coming weekend and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to see each other next couple weekends, a couple events coming up. I guess people can go back, uh, listen to episode 50 and hear all about those, right? Yeah, we'll mention them again at the end maybe. But um, sure. the one thing that I did want to say is that uh, we've gotten such a big response from the uh, Mastermind and uh, Investor Tour that I'm doing out here with Ryan Carr that we actually mm-hmm. had to add Sunday as well. Really? Yeah. So if you want to come wow. out on Sunday, <laughs> feel free. Wow, okay, cool. Um, Also very excited to have Elizabeth Kelly with us on the show today. She is a Rich Dad trainer, mortgage agent with Mortgage Alliance, and a longtime investor and owner at Sandstone Management. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited about this because uh, this is something that I've heard Elizabeth speak on before, corporate structures and also applying for and, I guess, obtaining mortgages uh, as a corporation. So this is going to be really interesting, something we've never touched on before, Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is tough to do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. I'm glad Elizabeth's here to be the one to do that. Now, also we want to encourage everyone to go and get our free gift from our website, the seven freedom activators that you can trigger in your property starting right now it is of course our free report that Sandy wrote to help all of you real estate investors out there make the most of your real estate investing uh, time, especially free up time to do other things instead of uh, spinning your wheels trying to manage properties. It's just a guide on how to manage your time and manage your tenants and manage your properties more wisely. Yeah, exactly. So everyone... That. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Break... I was going to say exactly that. Breakthrough, reipodcast.ca. They can go pick that up. And, and as always, we want to encourage people to go on iTunes, give us a, a review. We always appreciate some feedback, too. If you have some uh, constructive feedback, we'd love to hear that. You can comment on our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca, underneath this episode. Or, or as always, on iTunes, leave us a review. We can uh, uh, click through the show there and leave us a five-star review. We'd love to see that. It helps us get it out to more people throughout uh, throughout the country, throughout Canada. Yeah, you know what? I should start reading emails too, but I've had a couple of emails come in, just people saying that they're not on iTunes, so they can't leave us a review. But you can actually sign up if you're not like you can just sign up for an Apple uh, iTunes account. You don't have to have a an Apple product or anything like 
I've got my PC in front of me. I've got iTunes up here to to read this review that we've got here from BryGuy1996. This is the most recent uh, review that we've gotten, Sandy. He says, awesome, five stars. He says, hey guys, it's Brian and I live in Perth, so that's not too far away from your area at all, which I was thinking was in Australia at first, but you guys straightened me out telling me that there is Perth here in Ontario, I believe, <laughs> somewhere towards Ottawa, but that's great to hear. So he, sa- he also says, um, it's great to finally hear a podcast that is relatable to my experience here in Canada. I am 20 years old, saved up since I was 16 to buy my first duplex when I was 19 and uh, made my first purchase. I feel that I didn't have enough knowledge to keep going with the investing in other buildings though. After listening to your podcast, I got all of my questions answered. So I took action and have renovated every inch of this duplex as it was an older place and my tenants had moved out. Now I have a Rented downstairs apartment. I live upstairs with my girlfriend and son for free. I also have a good chunk of money from my refi to put into a second property. I can't wait to get into another one. Thanks for all the inspiration, guys. From Brian. That's cool. Yeah. Good one. Awesome. Thank you. Everyone, please keep them coming. Like Sandy said, uh, we really do appreciate all the five-star reviews. We've got something like 78 reviews now on iTunes, so that's really awesome, and appreciate every one of you going over there and letting us know what you think, even if it's not five stars. Of course, I like the five-star ones more, but uh, but if you have some constructive criticism, I know one person said they didn't like hearing you and I talk to each other, Sandy, I think, something like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, that's great, so leave us some more of those, please. Might as well just get right into it, should we? Well, we had some technical difficulties before getting Elizabeth on. We made her wait something like uh, almost a half an hour for us here. So maybe we should just get into her interview. And I know she's got a very busy schedule. So again, I want to thank her for being on. Yeah, of course. Very excited to have Elizabeth. Uh, As mentioned, she's a uh, rich dad coach, a mortgage uh, agent as well, and also uh, has been specializing in rent-to-own and, and tenant management. Very up-to-date on current re- real estate developments and regulations, um, some insurance expertise, extensive real estate knowledge. Is there anything else you can tell us about yourself? No, I, I think that's great. Thanks. It's uh, I, I'm just really happy to be here with you guys. Well, you have I think you're doing company. great things. What's the name of your company, Elizabeth? Which one? <laughs> your, your real estate <laughs> investing company. Uh, well, Sandstone Management is our property management company, and then um, I have I'm with Mortgage Alliance for my mortgages, and that's typically where I do sort of most of my um, most of my coaching and, and training is out of my consulting company. So I, as you can see, I firmly believe in the idea of of making sure that you have corporate structure in place to to protect yourself and and to protect you you know your business activities from what you're doing in your other business activities. It's um, Mm -hmm. absolutely essential. So uh, we're definitely going to get into that uh, deeper as we go here through the interview. Uh, Can you start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in investing in real estate so far, Elizabeth? Sure, thank you. Um, I started out, I guess, around about 2006. Um, It was around the time that I met my uh, now husband. And um, he he had uh, one investment property with his best friend, and um, we really enjoyed working on it together. We did uh, some rehab and, and renovation, fixing it up and refinanced it, that kind of thing. Um, so we really enjoyed doing that together, and we just started growing and building. 
And uh, by 2008, we had 19 doors, and we were quite proud of ourselves. And um, then we actually went and we took the three-day basic training course for Rich Dad, and we figured out we were doing the right thing in terms of investing in real estate and, and you know, planning for our future and our retirement. We just figured out we were doing it the wrong way. So one of the best things we got out of those courses was um, helping us figure out what our exit strategy was because up to that point we just assumed that we would buy real estate and hold on to it forever and just sit on it and wait for it to hatch like an egg. And um, knowing now uh, what I know definitely, you know, real estate is, is a tool to be used and you don't necessarily keep all of your investments for your entire uh, investing career. So we started educating ourselves and, uh, you know, knowledge and courses and networking and reading and learning and growing and um, we figured out that uh, rent-to-owns is sort of my, I guess, chosen area of real estate because I need to feel good about what I do. You know, from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, um, I need to feel good about helping people and about what I'm doing. It can't just be about earning money for me. Um, and then my husband really connected with the buy, rent, and hold. So um, we started buying properties and Fast forward now to uh, 2017, I guess we're in already, and um, we're up around several hundred doors, and uh, we have multiple corporations, we have joint venture partners, and we've done a whole bunch of really cool things. Uh, we really branched out. We have a building in northern Ontario that used to be a senior's home that we've turned into a student and contractor residence, and you know the amount of learnings and knowledge we've acquired along the way has been somewhat staggering. It kind of makes me smile to, to look back and think, you know, where we were just 10 years ago. And I think most people in real estate have the same experience. But um, my my focus now, in 2011, I started teaching, and that's where I really sort of found my, my calling, I guess. Um, now I focus on helping investors plan for early retirement by um, growing their investment portfolios and really focusing on being strategic about it and, and planning for it as opposed to just, you know, looking for a one-off property here or there. You know, we really drill down and look at cash flow and what does that need to be and, um, you know, how do we force appreciation and enable people to, re, you know, refinance and be able to continue to grow their portfolio so that, you know, instead of retiring at 75 or 65, um, people are looking at retiring at 55 and 45. So that's sort of how I ended up where I am right now. That's an amazing intro to this interview. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I'm glad you explained it because I was going to say, okay, so you had 19 doors in the first two years and somehow you managed to say that you were doing things all wrong. So I'm glad that you explained that at least because um, I don't think there's too many people out there that are going up to 19 doors in their first two years. If they are, congratulations to them. But um, that's certainly not the path, I guess, that most people take. And hopefully this interview can help people get on a fast track and kick their real estate investing into, I guess, somewhat of an overdrive. Mm -hmm. I guess, Elizabeth, the next question here, can you outline some corporations and corporate structures that would apply to real estate investing and some different, or some of the different options there? Absolutely. Um, so first thing I'd like to say is all the information I'm going to share with you guys today is strictly based on my experience. I mean, I'm not an accountant or lawyer or other professional, so I always encourage you know my clients and my students, make sure that you seek out an accountant, that you seek out a lawyer, and, and really spend some time talking to them about who you are and what you're looking to accomplish. 
Um, because as I said, everything I'm sharing with you is based on my experience and I haven't had you know, the experience that everybody else has, and I'm definitely not in the same situation. So make sure um, you spend the money and, and put the time into finding a good professional and, and seek their advice when needed. Now, that being yep. said, um, <laughs> this is probably the least fun, least sexy part of real estate that we could talk about. Uh, most people have virtually no interest in corporations. It's certainly much easier to buy in your personal name uh, what m- most people don't realize, I think, is how many advantages there are to, to buying in a corporate structure. So I'll spend a couple of minutes just talking about why and um, the, the best way to structure, and, and then I'll sort of move into what it actually looks like for most investors. So the way a lot of people want to start out is they buy in personal names, and then maybe they get to the point where they think, you know what, I've got quite a bit here. Uh, maybe I should set up a corporation or maybe I'm going to do a joint venture and I would like to have that protection. So they then, they then create one corporation. And then they grow to the point where they think, okay, I think I've got enough real estate within this corporation. And it's whatever your, you know, your risk threshold is. Some people only like to own, you know, one property in a corporation. Other people like to set a threshold like, for example, $3 million in valuation. So it really is up to the individual person. But it's really difficult to transition from having one corporation into building the corporate structure. So my recommendation typically for new investors when they start out, take a look and see if you can um, afford the cost of setting up your corporate structure correctly right from the very beginning. Because there are a number of implications both you know, from a taxation perspective and from a cost perspective when you try and ease your way into corporate structure versus when you just, you know, jump in at the deep end and set up a, a three-tier corporate structure, which is what most investors will use. So typically what we do as investors is we have a holding company who is sort of the top tier of the investment um, pyramid, if you want to call it that. So we have generally just a generic named real estate holding company. And then underneath, we would have um, a real estate holding company that actually owns the property. So the top company is basically more like, um, I don't know, like a shell would I guess be a way to describe it. It provides an extra layer of protection between you as the shareholder and then you have your, your shell corporation. Perhaps that's not the right term to use because I think there's other legal implications. But let's just call this a sort of a box. So it doesn't own real estate, it doesn't actually do anything, but your top tier corporation is there as sort of a placeholder. And then underneath that, you're going to have two corporations beside each other. So they're not, it's not your top corporation, which is a passive, then your second one, and then your third one. There's actually one on the top, and then there are two side by side underneath. Am I making sense for you guys? Are you able to visualize and follow this with me? Got it. Following okay. right along. That makes sense. For sure, sense yeah, so no, it's fantastic. Yep. It's a, it's a somewhat difficult concept to explain only verbally and not have the visuals to uh, to back it up. But Okay, so underneath our top corporation, then we're going to have a real estate holding company. This is a company that actually owns the real estate. So this is the company that is on title when you purchase a property. Now, to the right of that, you're going to have an active business. So depending on which investment strategy you've chosen, it might be a consulting company. 
if you're that would be if you're a wholesaler for example if you are someone who is into doing flips it might be a construction company um, if you are someone who does multi-unit buy rent and hold it might be a property management company but the reason why you have two passive businesses holding the real estate and then you have one active business which is basically um, running the the day-to-day operations is because the taxation rate is so much lower on a passive business. So it's taxed in and around, income in that company is taxed in and around 16%, whereas income in the holding companies is taxed in and around 46%. So wherever possible, we're trying to generate income through the active business, and then we use that as a means to reduce our tax burden within our other two passive businesses. Now, with our active business, we own nothing in there. There is no real estate being held in there. We're not buying. We're not selling. We're not acquiring. All of the actual acquisition of real estate is going to take place with the title or with the corporate name on title of our two, of our real estate corporation. And the thing to keep in mind is our corporation at the top is not going to hold anything other than shares for the two corporations underneath. So the relationship among the three companies and ourselves is that of a shareholder relationship. And we all know when we buy shares in a corporation, we're not legally responsible for the day-to-day operations and everything that happens underneath that. So that means that you as a shareholder are not responsible for the day-to-day operations of what goes on in your real estate holding company. And that's where the liability protection comes from. Does that make sense for you guys? It Did does. I leave anything out? No, it does. That's perfect. That's an awesome overview of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I told you it's not the sexy part of real estate. But you know what? I, I really actually enjoy this a lot. Just a way, like it's a very exciting way of, of looking at things. If you're going to go into something like this, it sort of kicks your ass into a different gear where you have to now start doing something on the um, active company side. Right. So if you're going, well, I was thinking of starting a property management company, but I don't really know or a construction company or a consulting company or whatever. Now that you've sort of committed yourself to this structure, you've you've got to make use of it. Otherwise, you're just spending money for no reason to keep the company in existence. Is that not right? That's that's absolutely correct. I don't recommend three-tier structures for your investors, new investors, when they're starting out, if they're not sure that real estate is something that they're really committed to. But for the people who are, you know, I want to retire in five years, I want to retire in ten years, I want more time with my family, I want my freedom back, um, for those people who are really committed to real estate, then corporate structure is the way to go. Um, there are tremendous benefits available through corporate structuring. We talked, we touched a little bit on the ability to reduce your tax burden. There are tremendous tax savings and then the ability to uh, plan for, you know, do some estate planning and um, generational wealth. You know, when you own real estate, if you anticipate, you know, if you buy a larger property, say, for example, you buy a 25-unit building, that's not something you're probably going to turn around and sell next year. That might be a, a property that you would hang on to and maybe you'd want to, um, you know, enable your children to take advantage of, of the income from that property as well. So as soon as you start putting in place corporate structure, then you can build in shares and you can do income sharing and, and dividends and all kinds of other things. So 
there's tremendous advantages in terms of um, flexibility and and not just in dividing up profits or income, but also in growing your revenue and your income. So if you have a consulting company, you can do a whole myriad of, of functions underneath that corporation to generate income and um, and then have it all coming into the one place. So it's, they're, they're tremendous advantages. Um, we haven't really touched on it yet, but of course, for us as investors, there's, um, there's a saying out there that it's not if we get sued, it's when. Yeah. So liability protection uh, comes from having the corporate structure because, as I said, as as a shareholder, you're not responsible for the the activities from a financial or a liability perspective uh, for the majority of the functions within the corporation. So if you have a property management company and that's who your tenants see on a day-to-day basis, in all likelihood, if there's a lawsuit that's going to happen, it's going to be your property management company, and they're not going to be able to go after you personally or the house that you own or the vehicles or any of your other assets that you hold personally because of that corporate structure. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's probably very appealing to a lot of people too. Not that um, it's just one of those things that, like you said, more than likely it's probably not going to happen or well i guess that's not really what you said but uh, um (laughs) most of the time most of the time people are going to have a problem but if they do it would be really nice to not have to be personally liable for that issue absolutely it's sort of the sleep at night factor i I mean and that's certainly i don't want to give everybody the idea that everybody gets sued that's not the case the majority of landlords i know are are very happily running, you know, their their businesses, and and they don't have any issues with that. And a lot of it depends how big you get. Um, to think that you know some of the some of the big commercial, you know, entities out there uh, that run, you know, malls and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I'm sure there's slip and fall and that kind of thing. But the majority of us as sort of smaller landlords, especially with residential properties, lawsuit is is not as much of an issue. Um, but it also offers it makes us more attractive when we're looking to seek joint venture partners because they know that whatever we're doing, you know, the rest of the time, they're protected from and vice versa. And because corporations are their own individual legal entities, whatever I'm doing in my other corporations is protected from what I'm doing in a particular corporation. Gotcha. Okay, and that's a ton of advantages of setting up a corporation this way. Is there any more that you can that you were going to mention? Um, I think that that's really it. I mean, and it's a lot. I mean, we could spend literally sure. hours talking about you know breaking these down in greater detail. But definitely, the biggest one is liability protection. Um, probably the second one would be tax savings, and then you have your multiple income streams, estate planning, and um, generational wealth transfer, I think, would be sort of the, the third major advantage to, to corporate structure. Yeah, it sounds like enough, mm-hmm. really. They're, they're, you don't really <laughs> need to convince us anymore, I don't think. Um, now, what have, what about the, I guess there's got to be a few disadvantages to this kind of a corporate structure as well. Absolutely. So the initial disadvantage that most investors see when they're starting out is the cost. You're usually looking around four to five thousand dollars to set up the three-tier corporate structure, and then you're looking about fifteen hundred dollars to prepare the annual taxes for each corporation. So, this really is something that you put in place when you know you're, you're looking to aggressively grow your portfolio and you want to um, 
you want to make sure that the protection is there right from the very beginning. Um, the other challenge, uh, in addition to the cost, is it can be more difficult to secure financing in corporate names. So particularly with some of the challenges or some of the changes that CMHC brought in in October of 2016, um, that's meant that some of the lenders that we would normally go to have um, either changed or, or removed themselves completely from the corporate name lending um, group, so to speak. So initial cost, you want to make sure you have, you know, a, a, a property in the pipeline that is going to actually, you know, the income from it will offset the cost of, of the corporate structure and the ongoing cost. And then definitely you want to make sure that um, you're working with uh, someone for financing who um, knows the lenders out there who are willing to do corporate names and, uh, and is working to make sure that you're approaching um, corporate name lenders in the correct order as well. Okay, interesting. Great. I don't think we've ever talked, I don't think we've hit on that that deeply before on the show, have we, Rob? We certainly haven't, no. So that's, that's great. And so what are what are the different roles then, Elizabeth, that investors might have in a corporate structure? That's a great question. I, I'm glad you asked that. The way, once you set up a corporate structure, there are three different roles that potentially an investor could have. And there's advantages and disadvantages to, to pursuing each role. Now, the traditional one, anytime you set up a corporation, there has to be at least one shareholder. So this is somebody who has an ownership interest in the corporation. As I said earlier, they're not responsible for the day-to-day -day operations. Typically, they're not responsible for any debts that the corporation um, incurs. And in terms of liability, the, the greatest financial or monetary liability associated is just the amount that you paid for your shares. So if you pay you know, a penny a share or a dollar a share and you have 100 shares, you can see there's very little liability associated. Um, the only compensation typically for a shareholder is through dividends. And dividends can only be declared if there's a profit in the corporation. So you have to show on paper that the corporation is making money in order to be able to take dividends out. So a little bit of a trade-off there. Um, definitely something to chat a little more with an accountant about. But you can see every corporation must have a shareholder. And now, in, in a structure like this, can you just have one shareholder in a structure like this? Yes, you could. Oh, really? Typically, okay. the typically the way it works in a real estate in a real estate structure. So, my husband and I, for example, are fifty-fifty shareholders in our um, holding company or holding corporation that's at the top of our of our tier of our of our corporate structure. So, we're fifty-fifty shareholders. Now, my, our holding company is then the only shareholder for our real estate holding company, and it's the only shareholder for our property management corporation. So I'm not actually an owner. I only own shares in a corporation that owns shares in the corporations underneath it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's some benefits to that as, as well. So... That, and that, again, is where the liability protection comes in because, of course, I just have an ownership interest in the top corporation. I'm not actually an owner in the, in the ones underneath. But it could be that it was, say, just you who had shares in the holding company on the top? Absolutely. Yeah, it could be just me. Or if you wanted to get really complicated, <laughs> then if you have, for example, a family business or if you and your husband 
or you and your partner have children and you wanted to start thinking about some estate planning, you could actually put a family trust in place of yourself. So the family trust is the shareholder for the entire corporate structure, and that's how you can use it to move money around and to allocate um, you know, education funds or, you know, if one of the children works in the corporation, there's all kinds of advantages from that perspective. So it can get infinitely more complicated, but the thing to keep in mind is that a shareholder only has an ownership interest in the corporation, not responsible for day-to-day stuff. Oh, very cool. It, it, there's just tremendous advantages to incorporating. I don't think we talk about it enough, to be honest. So I think it's a great topic for you guys to have covered. Well, yeah, it certainly gets sexier once you've paid some some taxes on like a flip or something like that, and you've seen what you had to pay without this structure in place. And once you collect some dividends as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And did we cover? Was there one more role, or did we cover them there? Uh, no, we just covered shareholders. So there's also a director. Each more, corporation right? needs to have a director. They're the people who supervise the corporate activities, determine what the direction is of that corporation. These people have a responsibility to um, provide an objective standard of care to make sure that, you know, the finances are being looked after, the company is being run effectively, that kind of thing. Um, and then the last role that's available within a corporation is that of an officer. So the officers of the corporation typically are responsible for day-to-day stuff. So that would be, for example, the president or the CFO or the CEO, something like that. Uh, They're typically an employee and they're compensated through a salary. So each of those different roles has different responsibilities. Um, The director obviously would assume a little bit more. So, for example, typically when you set up a corporate structure, and I'll use again my husband and I as an example. So um, when I met my husband, he owned a home already, and um, I didn't have a a home in in my name. So I was made the director of our corporation because I had less assets on paper in my name. So anytime where you're assigning responsibility, you want to try and reduce the amount of assets that are available. So the shareholder has the least amount of responsibility. You would put the shareholders, the people who have the most amount of financial assets. And then, obviously, an officer of the corporation, technically, if something happens day to day, you would be responsible for that. As a president or a CFO, we know that there are times where if money is not managed correctly, um, you know, the, the buck stops with the, the accounting people, right? And then they take their big retirement plans and, and head off. <laughs> yes, yes. And that would be the directors who are responsible for making those decisions about what happens with the officers, right? So who's, who sets up the corporate structure for you? Who Who would do that? Well, in the past, you used to be able to see an accountant or a lawyer my recommendation at that time was a lawyer, and now I believe they've changed things so that it's only a lawyer. So my advice is always seek, um, seek out the, you know, a consultation with a lawyer and an accountant before you set up your corporate structure, but use your lawyer to set up the corporate structure and to make sure that all the shares and everything are assigned from a liability protection standpoint as opposed to from a tax minimization standpoint. Because when we, when we're real estate investors, this is what we really want is to, is to minimize the liability and then the tax, um, the tax reduction comes from having the active business versus all the passive. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you, uh, I'm sure you want to make sure your accountants and lawyers are obviously on the same page with everything too. So I'm sure you got to talk to both, but, but the lawyer is the one that actually does it now. The, the lawyer is the one who should physically do the setup. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Okay, Elizabeth, um, you have been featured in Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine regarding financing and particularly how to finance under corporate names. Can you share your insights on that with us? Absolutely. So so the number one thing I want you to keep in mind when you are uh, looking at financing, uh, whether it's an investment property, whether it's in a corporate name or even in a personal name, uh, you're not going to finance an investment property like you would your home. You need to think about this as from the perspective of making sure that the income covers all of the debt servicing, and you want to make sure you keep it as leveraged as possible. So our goal is not to you know, put in the largest down payment possible and try and get the mortgage paid off as quickly as possible. The goal is to keep your property leveraged to between you know, 80 to 90% loan-to-value. Now, in order to do that, the lenders have different criteria that they follow uh, in terms of their willingness to lend money. So, for example, some lenders say if you have three properties, three investments or rental properties, then we won't lend you money anymore. And there are other lenders who say if you have 15 properties, then we won't lend you money anymore. So it's really important to know and to work with professionals who will help you figure out a plan so that when you are purchasing in corporate names, you know the correct order to approach the lenders in, and you have someone working on your behalf to show that you know what you're doing. The perception in the the lending world or the finance world is when someone buys in a corporate name, they have less responsibility to make sure that the mortgage gets paid. Now, that's not actually the case because you are going to personally guarantee all the mortgages, but the perception is that you might be able to get away with not paying the, mortgage, paying the mortgage or paying the lender back. So it's very important that you um, are purchasing properties that are helping you achieve your overall investment goals and making sure that you're working with someone who is going to present you to the lenders in the best possible light, whether you have no experience as an investor and you're starting out or whether you have lots of experience and you're looking to continue to secure funds. So either way, it's, it's really important that you um, work with a professional and don't view, you know, don't get caught up in, in looking for the absolute cheapest rate. Because when it comes to buying in corporate names, what you're looking for is um, flexible flexibility, uh, a mortgage product that really meets your your needs and uh, that you're working with people who can help you continue to achieve your investment goals as you, your portfolio go, grows and you get closer to uh, achieving your goals of, of early retirement. Thank you for all of that. You know, this has just been a wealth of knowledge, and I know that you could probably go on and on and on because I know that you just uh, have that experience and have that knowledge, but uh, we don't want to take up all of your time today, but I do appreciate everything you've shared. What's next for you, Elizabeth? What kind of exciting things do you have coming up? Thank you for asking. Um, I, I'm really focusing more and more on supporting investors. And uh, my goal is really to work with, um, you know, all, all different experience levels of investors, but particularly the new ones who are starting out. So um, I do coaching and mentoring, and I also help a lot with uh, looking at financing options through through my mortgage business. So Definitely, my, my goal is to help people achieve their dreams of, of you know, financial freedom um, through education and, and support and ongoing networking. And I think you guys are doing a really amazing thing. I, I 
I'm very happy to to be part of this podcast, and I think you guys are are doing a great job. There, there's a a lot of misinformation out there with real estate, and I think you guys are doing an amazing job educating people on you know some of the best ways of of really focusing on achieving your dreams and and growing your portfolio. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. How can um, someone yeah. reach you as, if they wanted to get in touch with you, let's say, for your coaching business? Well, there's a few different ways to reach me. Um, I have, of course, my cell phone number is 416-540-9210. My email address is Elizabeth, with a Z, at mortgagemedics.ca. So that's M-O-R-T-G-A-G-E-M-E-D-I-C-S dot C-A. And I also have a Facebook group, which is dedicated to educating and supporting investors um, in real estate. And it's called Building Wealth Through Real Estate. So people can always send me uh, a friend request and I can add them to the group or they can look for the group directly on Facebook. And um, either way, I, I'd love to hear from people and I'd love to uh, be able to help people continue to achieve their dreams. Okay, building wealth through real estate. Yeah, so um, if anyone didn't catch all of those things, of course, Sandy and I always put info in the show notes so you don't have to run and try to scramble or write all that stuff down. Just um, We'll put all the links to Elizabeth's contact information in our show notes for this episode, number 51. And if you would like to get in touch with her, of course, you could do it that way. So... Again, um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this stuff with us. Thank you very much. I really wish that we could have had some more time today, to be honest, but uh, but maybe another time. Would you be open to coming back on again? I would be absolutely honored to come back on. It's been great chatting with you guys, and I uh, look forward to seeing you guys at some of the upcoming events. Great. Um, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, if they want to reach out to me, uh, easiest way is is call me through our office, 905-308-8333. Uh, you should be able to me through that, or, or if I, I'm not answering, then you will you can have me paged, and I'll get back to you as soon as we can. So uh, anybody can reach out to me if they want to have questions about real estate or specifically questions in, in around the Hamilton area. Definitely happy to help out. People can reach me at 289-927-0464, or you can reach both Sandy and I, uh, both Sandy and I, at info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. So thank you everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, Elizabeth. Thanks. Bye bye. See ya. Thanks. 